0: Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. On today's show, we have Tyler Gilden, who is a member of the family that owns Satco, Greg.
1: Yeah, real interesting story. Good, good discussion we have from today.
0: Yeah. Uh, do- he created a documentary on his grandfather, who Herbert Gilden, who founded Satco and was a Holocaust survivor and recently passed away. And he did a documentary on his grandfather called The Starfish. And what a fascinating story. Now, there are a lot of tragic ho- Holocaust stories out there. And, you know, we all know about um, what a crazy time that was and what those people went through. But this one's a story of hope. It's a story of overcoming adversity. And it's an American story. So check it out, the Starfish. Um, of course, this episode is brought to you by those that do the right thing and the light thing. That's Satco, Greg, S-A-T-C-O dot com, baby, Satco dot com.
1: Yeah, and I think if you watch a Starfish documentary and you have any idea of who SATCO is as a company, it'll all come together nicely. It really shows who they are as people, who they are as a company, and why they are one of the leaders in the lighting industry.
0: So go to SATCO.com. That's S-A-T-C-O.com. And thanks to the Gilden family, Tyler, wonderful time interviewing, you, and of course, Alan Karen. Thank you for setting this all up. But for right now, folks, here comes Tyler Gilden. Welcome to the Get a Grip on Lightning Podcast, Tyler Gilden. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Say hello to Greg Eric. Hello. How are you?
1: Good, Tyler. Thanks for coming on. I so, appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I know. It's our pleasure. So we we had a trip down to... Um, actually, I'll start with my interview with Alan Karen. I've known Alan for many years and got to know him real well in the last year or so while he's been on the board with Nailed and... And I interviewed him on the show, and during that time, we were talking about the future of the industry and people with deep roots in lighting. And you know, Greg and I were talking about the show and what to do. And uh, you know, and then we went down to Satco and we visited you guys. Uh, we we're very, you know, what a what a great time we had with Alan and visited the head office there in, in uh, Long Island. <clears throat> and you know, we're uh, we're got a feeling that there's this uh, this company has deep roots there's a real family feel when you walk in, you see the, the way the that thi- the, it's all set up and we met Billy. We had dinner with Billy and then we interviewed Billy. Um, your father of course, Billy Gildon, and I had a feeling that there was something deep there. And then Greg and I started talking about, you know, talking about some of the stories behind the lighting industry and incorporating maybe one of those a month or one of those a quarter in. And then out of the blue, Alan Karen emails me with with this um, documentary The Starfish. And so I, I just watched it last night, and um, that is a story,
2: man. Wow. Appreciate it, thanks. Yeah, it uh, is certainly a story that I felt was worth telling, and I'm glad so far people seem to, uh, you know, uh, agree with that.
0: Well, I mean, I'm, I don't want to be a spoiler for anybody, but we're here to talk about the sure. the the documentary, and um, you know, from Sweden. Uh, he crosses the entire world to get to America, and then that's something the that
1: stood out to me as how crazy of a journey that was going the other way. I think take the boat across that way and get there quick. And so, we'll just to to, just for fire. the
0: listeners out there listening here, there's a documentary that Tyler Gildin's created on his grandfather um, Herbert Gildin and the two sisters, uh, C.C. and what was the other one's name. It was seal and Margaret seal and Margaret. And, uh, you know, their journey, um, out of Germany in the late 1930s to Sweden and then off to, uh, to the United States. And what an incredible journey that was. Um, tell us how, um, cause we, we want to leave some of the story for people that are going to watch it. Sure. Of course. Um, tell me how, uh, the idea came to you to and Gildan media to, to do this.
2: Sure. Uh yeah, well, you know, first just to, to backtrack on yeah, that journey, it's it's crazy. And that, you know, I was trying to really show that on the maps, you know, that idea of, you know, had they gone, you know, uh had they gone just, you know, one way it could have been an easy trip, but the fact is because of the war they had to avoid it and the fact that they had to go all the way pretty much around the globe to get to the United States you know through Russia to Japan to Seattle to New York is uh, remarkable and uh, just shows that you know that the extent that they had to do and, and hias the organization to help them uh, was pretty incredible uh, but to, to your, your other question in terms of just the documentary itself, you know I always knew my grandfather had a you know pretty special story I didn't necessarily know the details of it, but I knew that, uh, you know, he had this incredible background. And I think the moment for me where it really struck that I really wanted to tell the story was when his older sister, Seal, had passed away in 2017. Uh, At the funeral, my grandfather in his eulogy told a bit about the story about the three children and that specific journey that you just mentioned of what that was like and the idea that, you know, this wasn't, you know, they weren't, you know, they were on a train and a boat. This wasn't uh, a cruise ship and a an Nacella train. You know, they were on a cargo ship. You know, they were on a cargo train. And just when he described that whole story and how important SEAL was to him as the older sister and the mother shepherding him, I just knew then that I really wanted to capture the story. I, I work in, in in production. I have the resources and the capabilities. My grandfather at the time was 88 years old, and it felt I, I would be doing a disservice if I didn't, at the least, just sit him down and interview him. What the extent of the documentary would become or whether it would be a documentary, I didn't know. It was just like, okay, I have cameras, I have crews, let me sit down, talk to my grandfather, talk to my grandma, and capture that story and kind of take it from there.
0: So Herbert Gilden is the founder of SATCO, which is a wonderful... Lighting Company, American Lighting Company. He's a Holocaust survivor, along with his two sisters, just for those listening, to give you a preface. And we don't want to give away too much of the story because it's sure. actually, it's 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 well-timed. It's 45 minutes, I think. And it's super interesting. So uh, watch it when it comes out. But Tyler, tell me, um, why, why did it take so long for your grandfather to, in a way, I guess... There's some demons there there's some darkness there. There's some pain, there's some sorrow. There's a lot of powerful emotions. Why did it take so long for him to, um, to want to share this with his family and then the world really?
2: Sure. I, you know, I think, you know, my grandfather was somebody who he's a very, you know, always focused on the future. He's someone who's always thinking about, you know, what's next. He's not a nostalgic person. He's not someone who would focus on the past. And you also have to remember, he was so young when this all happened. You know, he was from the ages of 10 to 12. So a lot of those memories, you know, I think you suppress them as a child and you kind of just want to move on. You're in a a new country trying to start a new life. And I think as he was getting older, you know, specifically with Sacco uh, and trying to build a business, you know, he wanted to be her gilden the businessman i don't think he wanted to be her gilden the holocaust survivor i think he wanted to be somebody who was building something looking forward and it just was something that he whether it was intentionally suppressed or just cuz he was so focused on trying to make a name for himself i think you know he had so much you know there's so much turmoil growing up for him and So, you know, a lack of stability that I think he just was driven to build something stable and successful. And it really, if it were not for my aunt, you know, his daughter, Mindy, really being so interested in her own roots and therefore in his roots, he may never have initially even opened up about, uh, you know, any of his backstory.
1: Do you think this uh, experience that he went through made him the person he became?
2: Totally. I think, I think, yeah, I think for sure. I think, That's resilience persistence, you know, just being a a, a fighter. I think all of that came from, you know, his upbringing and, you know, just the amount of times he was from A to B to C. I mean, he was really kind of like a chameleon. I mean, everywhere he went, you know, he was German, he went to Sweden, he had to learn how to speak Swedish. And then he comes to the U.S. and he knows German and Swedish. He's got to learn to speak English. And then, you know, he's off in the army and he's the only Jew in the army and he's got to figure out how to adapt. It it seems like everywhere he went, he was an outcast and everywhere he went, he figured out a way to adapt and be a likable. Person and a successful person. I think that speaks to you know his track record of success.
0: You know it's interesting that adversity can be a gift. Sure. And um, I, like what I took from from that story personally is giving thanks for the adversity in my life. And it's crazy to say that, but you know, Greg's question: th- Did that make him? I think you know your grandfather could have chosen to be a victim. He could have worn, and, I, and, I, and I'm not minimizing this in any sense. He could have chosen to go internally and, and um, you know, mourn the loss. But instead, he, he made another choice. He chose to live his life in the future and move forward and build something. And I, I think, you know, m- while your grandfather's story is absolutely remarkable, I think we all make that choice in one way or another. We all have the choice to choose victimhood or to choose to, to, cr- to carve our own destiny with what we're given. And what I take from from that story is that, hey, man, as hard as you have it, it can get a hell of a lot worse really, really quickly for you. And, you know, you talk about a, a boy ten years old and the emotions he described so accurately as a ten year old boy, you know, um, you know, uh, from in the first family in Sweden he lived with before he moved to the silo family and the pain and the anguish those are powerful emotions for a 10-year-old i don't know my 10 none of my 10-year-olds felt those kind of emotions i'm pretty sure the eric boys didn't don't have those kind of emotions but there's a gift to that adversity in a sense if you accept it the right way
2: no 100% and you know i think that's you know that's kind of the person that he was and and you know it was you know, he's not someone who's ever going to look for a pity parade. He's not someone who's going to be, you know, down on himself. I think he was someone who just wanted to work harder and he wanted to prove himself. I think it was always trying to prove to others. And, you know, he says towards the end of the piece, you know, how, you know, he finally felt so comfortable in his own skin and he had everything mm. he wanted. And I just think, you know, we should all be so fortunate to live that type of a life. And he looks at his life as, you know, a positive. He lived a great life. You know, sure, some of his younger years were challenging, but at the end of the day, you know, lived 90 years and had a, you know, beautiful wife, family, you know, kids, grandkids. He got to meet his great grandson, my son. Uh, so I think, you know, he looked at, at life in that positive perspective that he was, you know, very happy with with everything he had. And, you know, I think those earlier moments, you know, kind of shaped him a bit. A bit. And he just was someone who just knew how to, in every situation, find the best, uh, surround himself with the best people and, you know, work hard and, you know, uh, was very oriented and you know that's why he was such a successful guy
1: yeah I think that's the thing that we noticed too on our on our trip to sadco unfortunately Michael and I didn't get to meet him um, but he, he had passed away I think just last year is that right 2019 uh,
2: uh, last, but it, last may yeah about, about a year ago may. a year ago this week yeah
1: okay yeah and, and he um and everything I was told is that he was still working up until what
2: 88 90 was he still going into the office? He was you know he was at at that point he was in he was in Florida, but still on calls okay. and or possibly going into the office in Florida, but whenever he was in New York, he would stop in uh yeah, I mean he was someone who never like officially retired you know obviously my my dad has been really running the company for quite some time, but you know even just as a springboard to bounce ideas off of my dad and my grandfather spoke every day and yeah just in my life and in, and, and in my business and in, in anything I'd done, you know there was nobody better to just Bounce anything off of them my grandfather because he was just somebody that when you spoke to him, he was very good at making it clear that you were the only thing he was focusing on. And whatever your issue was, he wanted to help you solve it or he wanted to hear it out. Uh, yeah, no, he was just an incredible listener uh, and then would give you advice that you know was just very uh, valuable. Uh, yeah, just wisdom like that doesn't just come around uh, so often. So we, we were very fortunate to have him.
0: We – in the story, you really did a great job, Tyler at, um, and I assume you were the director and the producer and um, put it all together. What I found deeply moving was the, the highlighting of how difficult it was for your grandfather to leave his Swedish family. And I found that fascinating. Like he, and, and then moving forward, it's almost like a preface to how the man was able to recognize good things and not want to let them go and preserve them and how that kind of fed into his business acumen in a way cuz when you look at his time in Sweden it's almost idyllic in the story it's described like by him and by the pictures and everything is almost the greatest moments of his childhood sure. and you know when you then at the end of the moving toward the end the reunion between his swedish sister And him is extremely moving, especially when you interview the son and you hear him talking about his mom. I I suppose his Swedish sister had passed on by that point and talking about how much this had meant to them. And, um, you know, I, I really felt like that was integral in his deep in his in his mind, in his heart, that quest for stability to hold on to good things, to keep things together that are good, really came from his time in Sweden with that Swedish family.
2: Yeah, no, it's an interesting point and I agree. I think, you know, one of the more you know, to me, fascinating, you know, quotes or, you know, situations he faced was that idea of he had a good thing in Sweden. He had a family who loved him and he was very happy there. And he knew he would be leaving You know, a a good thing for a complete uncertainty. And obviously, he went and, you know, traveled to America to reconnect with his parents, but was living in a much, you know, much less fortunate situation than he had been in Sweden. And I think he enjoyed his time in Sweden as a kid. He was getting that attention and, you know, uh, having a good time. So, yeah, it was very interesting for him to have to, you know, when he discusses that, because you would think, oh, you're leaving to go with your family in America. That's, amazing and he was i guess self-aware at least there or looking back now self-aware to understand that it was a tough decision that he wasn't necessarily leaving for a greater opportunity but that it still was the right one to do uh and yeah i think you know he he was very close with that as you see in the piece with agnetta uh, his sister uh they were they were close at the time and i think obviously they lost connection but when he reconnected how important that was and i think something that i actually learned After the film, as I've kind of discussed further with uh, uh, Zacharias, who is Agnetta's son, who we do interview in the film, was how important Herb was to his grandmother. So Agnetta's mother, when they adopted Herb, you got to understand, when they took him in, they, I don't know, but the percentage chances that he was ever going to leave to reconnect with his family in the U.S. was very slim. Sure. You know, they weren't taking him in to harbor him. They were adopting him to be part Mm -hmm. of their family. So I think it was actually devastating for the mother when she lost Herb because it was almost like she had lost a child. She right. had taken him in for two years, fully feeling like this was now going to be another member of her family. And, you know, in the piece, we mentioned how she came and visited once and, you know, the the conflict between Herb's actual mother and his Swedish mother in terms That's of. That's very strange to yeah. me, Tyler.
0: That's so strange to me. Like, you're talking about deep emotions of motherhood conflicting with one another, you know, in people's hearts, man. Yeah. That's a jealous mother, you know, like, who is jealous of another mother who had um, helped raise her son. You know, that was really, that was a really human part of the story, man. I really like that you kept that in there.
2: Yeah, because, you know, it's and whether it's jealousy or just an internal, you know, and I think my my aunt, you know, spoke about it so eloquently, just that idea of she just couldn't, she just couldn't come to terms with the idea that she had to have given up her child for those two years. And you would think that she'd want to meet the woman who Race had taken, yes. you'd think so. But, you know, I guess, I don't know if if we were all in that situation You know, or what we wanted, you'd think, but maybe it was just too dark and too hard for her to know that she had to give up her ten year old boy and that just, you know, meeting that Swedish mother would have brought all that emotions back to her that she just she just couldn't handle. But yeah, it's it's a very real moment. It was the only time throughout the entire time that I interviewed my grandfather that he kind of broke a bit was when he spoke about that. So I knew I had to
0: keep that in the piece. There there was there was some resentment in his eyes when he talked about that. And that's what that's what makes the, the, your your um, presentation of the story in all its nuances and the dark and the light together, I think is so key to making it a good piece like a real piece of human struggle and overcoming adversity. Think about the Swedish mother who comes to love this boy. He starts to like Christmas. he's going to church with them. He talks about going to church and enjoying Christmas and the Christmas trees in the background in one of the pictures right. and it's it's actually like a, a almost idyllic the way it looks. Uh, as you're watching it. And then for that mother, what are you going to do? Oh, yeah, we're going to take a train across the Soviet Union to Japan. And then we're going to take a boat across the Pacific Ocean. And the one in charge is a 15 year old, 14 year old girl. I mean, that's that's really inc- like to to let that, you know, to let that happen and to you know, obviously that's the you know the family's choice in a sense, but man, those are crazy times, eh? Holy mackerel!
2: Yeah, I think that's why I think you know it, it's you know I, I I didn't mention much in the piece. I really didn't know as much until afterwards, but yeah, that apparently that that was a really big burden on on his Swedish mother, uh, you know, his heart, and I think she always felt like she kind of lost the son there uh, in that. But obviously, you know, they did what they felt, in that they're you know. Uh, birth parents felt was necessary for them to do, to reconnect. And they were shepherded by the organization HIAS. You know, obviously it was the three children, but they weren't just completely alone. They were part of some group, even though they didn't necessarily know who, you know, my grandfather couldn't remember who, but I guess there were some adults that had to have been shepherding them a bit. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy because you'd think now, you know, to let three young children, you know, even just go into Manhattan by themselves, you might say, Hey, you know, what are you doing? You know, have your phone on GPS. I want to track you. I want to, whatever. And this was just seven weeks. We'll see you. It's crazy.
1: Now you mentioned it in the film, but at the end of the day, what what drove your grandfather to be successful?
2: I think it it was just completely that that fear of failure. I think he just he was somebody who he was motivated by that that fear of failure. He wanted to do better, he wanted to prove himself, whether it was to himself, whether it was to his, his father in law, who he didn't have the approval of. You know, he just didn't want to be looked at somebody who was lower than anybody else as an immigrant or anything. He just wanted to be seen as a successful businessman and he just had that motivation and that power to to move forward and and you know really every aspect of his life and you know he wasn't the quote-unquote family man because he was working all day Uh, and i think that was something that you know my grandmother understood and was you know his partner as well as well as lou and margaret you know his brother-in-law uh and and his uh his sister and yeah they you know the four of them really just did what it took to get sackle off the ground and then you know make it into what it ultimately became
1: Do you think he ever truly felt that he was successful and satisfied with that success?
2: It's a good question. I, I think if he ever did, he wouldn't have been as successful as he ultimately became. I think finally, you know, when I was interviewing him and he's 88 years old and he's saying I'm happy with everything, I think finally then, but he's not someone who would have ever sat down and, and gleamed over his success. That's just not the type of guy my grandfather was.
0: Do you guys still have the shoes?
2: The shoe that the money was in? No, nah. do not have those shoes. I'm sure they would probably crumble, uh, are so old and, and decrepit. But uh, no, and that's what's what's interesting about a story like that is, and why I, I felt it was necessary to interview my grandfather's sister's uh, daughters uh, because his sisters were not uh, alive at the time, uh, was to get those types of narratives and those anecdotes. Because that's not a story that my grandfather remembered at all that wasn't mm-hmm. something you know he was 10 years old to 12 years old and he didn't remember that but obviously his sister who was 14 to 16 did remember that and passed that on to her daughter so that's why it was so important to you know I felt to have somebody represent all the key players if they were not alive to speak for themselves and that included both his sisters and his Swedish sister having the next generation speak for them I think just helped add layers to the story
0: yeah, that that was the the most moving part of the story for me. Just as an individual, is where like the they pulled out the shoes and they had the money, but it was worthless. I'm almost kind yeah. of thinking about it now. I mean, seriously, that was really moving, Tyler. It really the way you the way you held on to that as a as a, a director, and you, you didn't bring for it sure. up. All the way through Sweden and then they get to Seattle, it's still then then New York, and they pull out the shoes and the money's there and to give it back to the debt, but it's worthless, Oh man, it was very moving the way you set it up and also that the story of itself um it. the the one one quote from your grandfather that I think is prescient right now, especially with what we're going through in these times, was when he said, "I was surprised i guess this is a quote I was surprised at what freedom actually was." You know, here's a guy grows up. Uh, he's a kid. He doesn't you know the 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 Nazis come to power in 33 or whatever it was, and all this stuff's happening, and he doesn't notice anything until the Crystal knock. Lots of stuff happened right. before the Crystal knock, but he's a kid, and all of a sudden he's kicked out of school, and his friends are not allowed to play with him anymore. Right? So he's living in this authoritarian regime where people are have double that double speak that Orwellian double speak that to be careful what they say, they have to hide who they are. Right. Um, then he goes to the Soviet Union and he's going, you know, he gets to New York and all of a sudden people are listening to the radio and they're like, president's an idiot. But and your grandfather's what, what's what you just said, what? And so that idea, that, that idea of freedom of thought, freedom of expression, freedom of speech, and he's encountering this for the first time. And I think it's, it's almost better to encounter it like that way than to grow up with it because you really learn to appreciate it and you can see a lot totally. of a lot of new canadians and and new americans people that come here and they they see this it's so valuable and it's hard to pass on to people that grow up with it how incredibly rare it is actually
2: no totally yeah i thought that was you know one of the awesome more interesting you know quotes that eddie that had uh that really stood out because yeah it's something that you don't think of, you know, you don't really, if you grew up uh, in the US or Canada, you know, you don't really think about that. And when he said that, I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool that he also that he like vividly remembered that like that was one of his like earlier memories of being in the US, you know, being in Brooklyn. Uh, yeah, no, I thought that was pretty, uh, that was pretty special. And, you know, given the the world we're living in now, yeah, I think that that, that can definitely relate to, you know, people remembering, uh, you know, that, the, you know, having some perspective on, you know, some of the liberties that we do have.
1: How long did this documentary take you to make?
2: So I began filming in May of 2017, so about three years ago. Uh, It took me about a year and a half to two years. Um, You know, I initially finished it uh, before he passed and then I did go back after he passed and, and updated some of the ending title cards just to have that full uh, you know closure bookend of uh, the film but about a year and a half uh, but I'm someone who also is a bit of a perfectionist so even when I was done I went back a couple times and did a new sound mix I did a new coloring I, I it was very hard and especially also after he passed I kind of felt like I was holding on to him somewhat through the film so I think a lot of times my nitpicking of going back to the film was you know subconsciously just trying to continue my relationship with him.
1: And I've got two questions. Uh, um, what did he think of the process? And then what did he think of the final result?
2: Um, I think, you know, so when I first went and I interviewed him, you know, I showed up with, you know, a crew of about four of us, two cameras, you know, uh, boom mic. I think at first he was even still just like, whoa, this is more than I kind of thought was going to happen. You know, I don't know what exactly he anticipated, if it was just going to be me and an old school camcorder. I don't know. But so I think at first he was like, oh, okay, this is a little, you know, we even had a drone just to get some exteriors of his house, which, you know, really cracked up my grandma. She thought that was really cool. Uh, but, yeah, I think uh, when I first showed him the first draft, like it was like kind of like a two-minute teaser, you know, he I could tell he was like, oh, wow, this is, you know, to be a lot bigger than he necessarily initially thought just because you know some of the archival footage i'd thrown in there and i think he was realizing a lot more work was going into it than just the one day i had showed up and filmed with him that i was putting significant amount of time you know behind the scenes and post-production uh but he was very supportive throughout you know i did a lot of pickups with him a lot of audio pickups um i was constantly showing him rough cuts when i felt they were ready because it was important you know i needed to have you know, I think almost anything I would probably make in life, I'd want to have his approval on, but specifically something that was about his life story, I really yeah. wanted to have his approval on. Um, and just to make sure, you know, sometimes he would say, eh, actually, can we, can we change this? And specifically with anything SACO business related, he also wanted to make sure that that was truthful, but within the realms of what he felt should be shown, uh, you know, uh, uh, from a business standpoint. So he was, he was. Wearing his hat in two different ways when he was viewing it, uh, but yeah he he very much enjoyed the final piece. He was very proud and and very happy and felt a little bit like a, a movie star, which was nice uh, for him to kind of feel that way a bit uh, and I think it was important for him. I think it gave him even further closure uh, on his life story so uh, yeah, I think he was grateful for it and I'm grateful that he was obviously willing to divulge all this to me.
0: Your grandmother. She's an interesting character in the story, too. And, and you don't explore it so much, but there's some conflict there with the father-in-law, with her father and, and your dad. Um, was that ever resolved in their lifetimes together?
2: You know, so it's, what's interesting is you know, the initial so the the, the film right now is, is 40 minutes and, and the initial cut was 48 minutes. And I, and I trimmed it down because when I was doing the festival circuit, a 48 minute film just didn't fit any category. And I, I'm happy with the final piece at 40. I think it's tighter and it works. <clears throat> but part of the 48 minute piece did have a bit more actually on Sacco and specifically also on my grandmother's family and their dynamic. Um, And yeah, we spoke a little bit more about her father, uh, Al. Yeah, he pretty much just did not approve of my grandfather. And I think that was just something that whether it was the immigrant story or feeling like his daughter deserved better, which it is ironic because it's he himself was kind of a entrepreneurial shady type character who had moved them from Brooklyn down to Florida because he was in the nightclub business and he was in the you know in the alcohol business he had a lot of different hats and was a shifty type of guy so it's kind of ironic that he didn't appreciate someone who was a you know really blue collar Hardworking guy, but yeah, I think you know my grandfather says it at the end. You know, he wishes the two people who could have seen his success was his own father for the pride he would have had, and his father-in-law for saying, "Hey, I actually, you know, your your daughter did okay. She married the right guy." Uh, but yeah, I thought that was important to to add that in the piece. Just the, the bits that we did add because it was just showing a bit more of a conflict, and that's a human thing of of having disapproval from a an in-law. That's that's a real thing that exists today and will probably always exist.
0: And yeah, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, a lot of that is projection. A lot of that is people projecting their own negativity onto others. Um, and seeing, you know, uh, those types of things going on in other people and not accepting them. And and so that that came through. But I was I was interested in that side angle. And so, I, you know, uh, I just watching the story, I wanted to know a little bit more. I'm like, I wonder what happened there. Now, was your grandmother born Jewish or did she conferred?
2: No, she was, she was born Jewish. So okay. there was definitely no like anti-Jewish, you know, there might've been an anti-immigrant, you know, that he was a uh, immigrant from Germany, but in terms of being Jewish, you know, she, she, she was Jewish. And, you know, she also grew up in not very, you know, comfortable living either. So there's a lot of strangeness there. And, you know, as much as I pride on my grandma to tell me more about her father, she also suppresses a bit, you know, she was pretty honest about who he was, but also there were some things that, As we were interviewing, we were trying to extract a bit more, and she was a bit sensitive uh, on her own father, who was clearly a very controversial character uh, in her life.
0: So Satco has the spirit of Herbert Gilden in it. How does your father, Billy, the CEO, he's the CEO or the president or both? I think he's the president and and CEO. How does he embody your grandfather's characteristics, and does Satco? live that out as a corporate culture, the resilience, the dedication, the focus on the future. Does he embody all that? Is that where the spirit lies or is there someone else in the family business that's there that's holding Herbert's spirit and holding down the, the, the soul of the company?
2: No, it's definitely my, uh, my dad, you know, my dad and my grandfather were incredibly close and I think his, my dad's work ethic came from my grandfather Uh, and, and a portion of the piece that I trimmed in in when I cut it down was kind of my dad's origin story into the company. And I know in the piece we currently have now, him originally helping, you know, unload boxes in their driveway when their warehouse had, you know, gone uh, basically at max capacity. But when my father first joined the company, you know, he was first in the warehouse. You know, it took a long time before he eventually became, you know, the president. That wasn't an overnight thing. And my grandma jokingly says, uh, you know, I guess in the outtakes of the piece, how she almost wanted to divorce my grandfather over how hard she was on her son and you know on my dad she was so difficult on him and really your grandmother you know, was dead. difficult on your dad no my my, gra- my, my dad, grandfather, grandfather was so yes. tough okay. on him that my grandma would say you know, give him a break. You know, you're, 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 you're so tough on Billy. And I think that's because my grandfather knew that he had to make my father earn that. And that if my dad was ever going to earn the respect that he has, and it's, you know, everybody's respect, you know, in SACO and anyone who's ever come through SACO has the utmost respect for my dad. And I think that's because my grandfather made sure that he started low end of the totem pole and he worked his way up and he didn't report directly into my grandfather at first. He reported into somebody else who reported into my grandfather. You know, my grand my grandpa was smart enough to know that he wanted there to be that chain of command and you know that this was a family business and my dad says it's a lot it's a family business but it's not because of the bloodlines of family it's because it's how they treat people like a family that's Mm. what makes it a family business i know my dad would reiterate that today you know as well
1: when are we going to get you working at sadco (laughs)
2: Uh, you know so this piece is clearly my contribution but no i i I do so i've done several of the marketing videos i you know i don't i'm not you know, my, my mindset is definitely in more of a creative angle than pure business, but um, the most recent, you know, corporate video, uh, you know, I directed it and produced and uh, I, I, I did last year at Light Fair, I did all their videos. I did their videos uh, in, in Dallas at the, at the Light Conference there. So I, I am doing most of their video marketing work, uh, but that, will most likely be the extent of, of my, uh, contribution. You know, they, they, you know, they say this, the first generation, what creates it, second generation builds it, their generation destroys it. So yeah, I, you, I, I, I'm not to be that guy.
0: Yeah. You go up the, you go up the stairs in wooden slippers, you cu- you go up the stairs in wooden shoes, you come down in silk slippers. That's what they say. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting to Satko, uh, you really got the feeling when, um, you really showed him in the warehouse well. And then with the one lady, which he was talking and, you know, it's funny in the age of uh, COVID. I don't even want to say it. Don't, I'm not saying it. In the age of um, this age we live in now and the, um, the way people are behaving to see uh, someone like your grandfather putting his arm around a stock picker and the warmth between them. Like pure human warmth that was there, caring. You could see it. Like we can, see, we humans can see it. it, it can, you can't, you can't pretend that you like somebody or that you know them or that you care for them. We can see it right away on people's faces, and the warmth that was there. And when Greg and I visited, there's clearly a, not a disconnect between the C-suite and the other workers at Satco. It's a family, and when you go there, you see it. And so, Tyler, I really thank you for coming on on the Get a Grip on Lightning podcast. We didn't tell the Starfish story intentionally because you folks, you want to know why it's called the Starfish. you got to go out and watch it. So, Tyler Gilden, thank you for being a guest on the Get a Grip on Lightning podcast.
2: Thank you, guys. I appreciate you taking the time to watch the film and to, uh, you know, enjoying it and to be able to talk about it and help spread it more. I think it's uh, it's a powerful story. It's a human interest piece. And, uh, yeah, I hope uh, to get it to as many people uh, as possible and that they can enjoy it.
1: And where can they find that, Tyler? Give yeah. them the website, quick.
2: Uh, so yeah, it's uh, currently if you go to uh, uh, thestarfishfilm.com dot com or Gilded Media uh, slash the starfish, you'll find it. And uh, yeah, the links right now. It's depending on where you're located. It's on uh, Apple TV, it's on Prime, Vudu, Vimeo on demand, and Google Play. And we'll, and we'll also post, post links on Yeah, too. Exactly. We'll post links <laughs> we'll on the website. And
0: and so, you listeners out there, you want to hear about how Satco started and, and the story of the founder. We're going to be putting out more of these. All you listen out there, I know Tyler, I know Greg, and me, we all thank you for listening. Bye for now. Fish, starfish, Greg, uh, the founder of Satco, S A T C O dot com. What a story. What a life.
1: And you're going to have to watch a documentary to find out why it's a starfish, why it's called that. But an awesome story all around.
0: Yeah, what a great story. What a great family. And, you know, they welcomed us down in in Long Island a couple months ago, Greg, back in December when we went down to visit with them. And what a great family company. And, Tyler, thanks for producing that documentary and coming on and telling us all about it. Folks, SATCO.com. That's SATCO.com. And if you're listening to this and you graduated LS1, uh, we're putting together a new educational program at the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Um it's going to be ongoing training, Greg. Um I know that's a fancy word right now, but I'll tell you this. Everyone's talking about online training. This training is going to be for lighting distributors, counter sales people, Greg, uh out, outside guys, all the specifics they need to sell lighting.
1: That's right. Anybody that has anything to do with lighting is going to want to take this course. I can promise you that.
0: Yeah, we're we've been we I'm actually going to take it. So there you go.
1: I'm going (laughs) to,
0: definitely. So, uh, yeah, go to SATCO.com, go to nail.org. Thanks to Tyler and the Gilded family uh, for for, um, giving us the opportunity to discuss the starfish. (laughs) Written on the rectory wall, there's a sign there for all. You are lost, the Lord is there to find you.